Here we go again. <laughs> Keep in that. Here we go again. Because that's really cute. Um, dear listeners, you're listening to Take 54. <laughs> this is your editor speaking. <laughs> well, I say speaking, begging, <laughs> pleading that perhaps this might be the one we stick with. Welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast that doesn't have a pithy title or a pithy description because it's just that complicated. So grab a coffee, and if you'd like to grab us one, you can go to our coffee link, ko-fi.com slash itiscomplicated, all one word. Uh, good day to you, Dr. J. Hello, hello. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you again. Not that we started this already several times, but it's good to see you again. You, again. you said in that TV kind of way where we didn't just literally see each other moments ago doing several takes, but hi. Hi. <laughs> hi, Josephine. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, let's see. I gave myself the job title, Harbinger of Change, at the place where I work, which is ThoughtWorks, uh, which is a bespoke software consultancy. I also got to give myself my own gender, uh, transgressive, non-binary, gender, queer. Those are both super official. So I am the future. I am what you get when you allow people to define who they are. You're welcome. Uh, also, hashtag uh, troublemaker and hashtag queer nuisance. Because why not? Because branding. Because branding. Hello, dear listeners. My name is Josephine Baird. I am an independent scholar, activist, and artistic type um, who occasionally gets paid. Now and again. More then than again, but you know. <laughs> because we are contrary and fickle types, uh, to, today's topic has become one thing and then another and has evolved into yet another. And basically, we've landed on the uh, important and culturally um, relevant topic of um, what am I going to wear? But that also leads us on to things like, if I'm non-binary, do I owe you androgyny? If I, if, what, what, do, what do I have to wear? What, should, what, what can I choose to wear? How can I purchase the things that I wish to wear in a way that they feel good upon my body and a way that I'm not having to struggle with gendered rubbish just to get a t-shirt of the right size and shape for me to fit my body. Well, See, that's, that's the complicated part of clothing. Clothing, it's got to cover some, some, some of the bits and feel comfortable. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Although some mm -hmm. people would say comfort is not part of it. No. Some people will, my partner would happily give away comfort for style. Which is basically the nub of the issue. We thought we would talk about clothing and choice. The question if there is or could ever be a free choice in regards to how you behave in a gendered way. In this particular instance, how you clothe yourself. So I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about the notion of that whole futuristic society and thought mm. about like the Star Treks and the Babylon fives and things yeah. like that, where everyone seems to wear non-gendered clothing, but the non-gendered clothing is very much 
a onesie or it's or some type of onesie and there's part of me going why does that non-gendered clothing not include skirts for men why does that non-gendered clothing not include or skirts for either gender why does that what does that supposedly non-gendered clothing mean that mean the wearing of something that's very masculine in its cut in its fit in its form in its shape that wearing trousers is seen or a jumpsuit or something like that is seen as much more androgynous than wearing a skirt. How can we even start to discuss gender when all the futures shown to us have these kind of cut down onesied versions of people? Because the future that's being shown to us is being designed in the present. That's the problem in part also. And I think this is the thing. There is often, I think, there's several misnomers in in discussing gender. One is the word opposite. The notion that there is an opposite sex that doesn't exist. The notion of opposite suggests, when we talk about sex and gender, the notion of opposite suggests that there are two that are considered, if not equally, at least considered to there there are two. Mm. I disagree. I think culturally, the norm is assumed to be the male and the other is female. Therefore, there is no opposite. There is only norm and other, right? So opposite doesn't exist. It's just the normal and everything else. You know, the normal being white, heterosexual, middle-class man, you know, of a certain age with a certain haircut and a certain pair of trousers, right? Mm -hmm. So androgyny being considered normal or in the middle or preferable or positive is going to edge towards that. Other different is marked by everything else a skirt marks someone as other and therefore it can't be considered neutral because it's always going to be considered other that's why you ever hear um it's a sort of trope in in tv shows somebody will say sir to a woman right and it'll become this sort of thing of like oh you're my superior i'm supposed to be say sir or ma'am or i don't know but if you watch things like star trek they always say sir it's never ma'am as well And so the androgynous choice is sir. The neutral is sir, not sir and ma'am. And that's the distinction we're making. It's not opposite. It's norm and other. We assume culturally that the masculine position is the most desired. It is the Mm -hmm. most normative. It is the most, it's the best. And therefore we understand anyone who would want to move towards it. We cannot cope culturally with anybody who wants to move away from it. Now, don't get me wrong, we may still police both ways, but at least we understand culturally one of them and accept it a little bit more readily, not so much the other way around. I was discussing this back when I lived in New Zealand with my, with my good friend, Barb, who was doing uh, Lesbians in Lily and Gower for her PhD, because I only hang out with people doing really weird PhDs that have nothing to do with mine. And she was telling me uh, how there's, there's a statement, clothes maketh the man. Mm. And w- she was talking me through some of the stories that she was reading. And effectively, by wearing men's clothing, the person, the girl, became socially a man and was allowed to then marry and do the things that a man would do. Because the clothes, what you wore, made you who you were. And it was completely acceptable for a woman to want to be a man and to take on the male responsibilities, marriage, etc. But it was completely unacceptable for any man to go in the other direction. So, so the idea, the notion of becoming a woman, the notion of giving away 
manly things was not a permissible option within that society, mm. which is, and we're talking medieval Europe, which still, I hate to say, is a lot of what is a lot of the foundations of what we build our culture on is a lot of those notions of masculinity, femininity, what is acceptable, what isn't still comes from there. I think you're absolutely right. And that's that thing about the value judgment, because it's not about opposites. It's about, it's about a value difference. So when New Zealanders or when the people I can think of put on clothes, unless it was for dressing up to go to church, most of the people who I knew through my wider church would just run around in jeans and a t-shirt. Everyone would. Now, A, it was the 70s. So jeans and t-shirt was perfectly acceptable for everybody. But also the gender of clothing of your everyday clothing wasn't so strongly, it was more about practicality and the ability to share it across the family than the ability to have something that was specifically for this gender or that gender. So a lot of farming people had jeans and jumpers and clothes that fit both parents equally badly, (laughs) but they would just wear because that was the work clothes. But isn't it interesting that once we go into notions of practicality, all of these things fall away. And yet when we discuss them in terms of like the markers of culture, the markers of otherness, the marker of masculine and feminine, they seem to be completely and utterly, you know, set in stone. And yet what's so interesting is that that notion of gendered identity is so intrinsic to me that makes me want to wear dresses all the time and makeup and be called she consistently. I don't want to be non-binary. I don't want to be those things because I am not intrinsically those things. And these cultural markings that I use to express that are very important to me. And I like that, but I wouldn't begrudge anyone else doing differently. In fact, I encourage everybody else to do whatever they want differently. I just think that I have to do it this way because, or I want to do it this way because it represents something intrinsic to myself. And I find that um, gives me a sense of, of joy and well-being. It's, it's, it's like that thing of when you get things right, your heart sings. Like I've always struggled to find mm. what to wear. My mother wanted a very girly girl. She got me. It was not a happy, it was not a happy moment. She wanted somebody to dress up, to, to dress like her. I've got a relatively atypical body in that I've got very, well, no, I've got a body with broad shoulders. I've got a body with s- smallish hips and a bit of a belly and some breasts. This makes finding clothes to wear that work for my, gen- that, that work for how I want to look really really tricky because if I want to look vaguely feminine there isn't anything that fits me I'm a size 24 26 in women's wear to get my shoulders in but the rest of me is lost within it because I'm not that frame I'm not that shape I don't have my curves don't go where they're expected to go Um, I basically am a little hobbit I look just like a hobbit 
I've got the I've got the little round belly. I've got the shoulders in proportion, shoulders hips. I'm just a little square with arms and legs on it. That's that's how I look. So I end up wearing slightly more masculine clothing in some way and trying to then firm it up or play it up, which I've discovered that color, pattern, joyfulness in my clothing has been the only way to really express myself. Um, I went down the suited and booted route for a while. It works, but it doesn't. I've had a gorgeous wardrobe of suits in all kinds of shapes and colors. Josephine has seen me wear many, many, many suits and ties and things like that. But it doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite feel congruent to who I am when people look at me. When people look at me dressed like that, they instantly call me sir and or put, assume a butchness that I really don't have. I'm far too effeminate to really be butch. I'm far too soft and not in a, not in a, a non, I'm, I'm almost far too camp far too flamboyant to be in that butch kind of corner. Um, But I'm not femme. I don't fit into that. I can't wear dresses because they just don't feel right. Um, I occasionally put things on and they, and I know Josephine's laughing at this, but they just don't feel right on my body. I'm not laughing. And I I would never, because honestly, I really mean it. I I wouldn't laugh at that because I'm, I'm smiling in recognition. Honestly, because I don't think it's, it's not something that I would think of as humorous. I'm just, you know, that no. sort of reaction of recognition where you're sort of smiling going, oh yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. I mean, you've seen me, uh, th- there's a performance mm-hmm. that I did where I end up in a dress and trying to find a dress that I could wear for, for that piece was ridiculous because trying to find something, I ended up in a stretchy kind of t-shirt dress and and even that looked very silly on my body because I didn't have enough breasts in the shape in the right place to make it fall correctly but it was the only dress that we could find that I could wear that would fit across my shoulders and still fit through the rest of my body Um, and even though I only had to wear it for about five minutes during the performance it was really difficult to wear it it was really difficult to have it be there and it's not but I also quite like wearing skirt type things so I don't mind a kilt I quite enjoy wearing a kilt I quite enjoy wearing like a a wrap or something like that especially in the summer Um, but that comes from my surfing days of getting out and wrapping cloth around you and hopping in the car while you quietly dry off type thing is is part of surfing and doing things like that but and it's not but it's that I wouldn't do it in the UK because my gender would be read so differently if I did that. And I think that's a really fascinating topic because I had that same issue when I moved to Sweden. You know, one of the first experiences I had of, of the different gender culture here was um, in the UK, for a number of reasons, I dressed quite formally, partly because the British culture is a bit more formal secondly um more formal women's clothing created a silhouette that people recognized more easily for me while i wasn't passing as much 
And the other reason was I didn't have very much money. And so I had to buy ones that are clothes that I could wear everywhere, including work. I wore those same clothes to this, to Sweden the first times I came here. And at the time in the UK, I was getting a lot of transphobic abuse in the streets and a lot of stress. And I came to um, Sweden and for about a week while I was here, I didn't get a crossword. I didn't get a dodgy look. I was completely left alone. And it was like a holiday, <laughs> a real holiday. I went somewhere else and they left me alone. And I came back and I spoke to a Swedish friend and I literally said, is, is Sweden just this utopia of like trans inclusion? And, and they went, no, really not. And I was like, okay, but then why didn't I get hassled at all? I went everywhere. And they were like, I don't know. And then they said, oh, hold on, hold on. Did you dress the way you're dressed now? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, they think you're important. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean important? They said, oh, no, you think you work in a bank or you're like a, a diplomat or something. And I said, really? And they said, didn't you notice that everybody else is dressed, quote, androgynously, as in jeans and a T-shirt and a sweater? And I was like, yeah, I kind of did notice that. And I was in a particular part of Sweden where that was especially clear. And they said, yeah, you know, you've kind of fallen into this weird cultural gap. And... When I came here, I had to make a decision. And this was put to me very well by another friend who'd moved from Germany. And they said, because um, I told them this conundrum, and I said, look, I walk around like this. And actually, I've noticed that weirdly enough, I do get looks. I do get odd looks, but it's, it's in a very strange way. And they said, yeah, when they moved from Germany, they used to wear clothes very much as the sort of, um, of their particular sort of environment and culture that had codified a certain way, which was sort of like, you know, pretty casual, you know, jeans that were ripped and sort of like a T-shirt, baggy T-shirt, and that was perfectly fine. And they said when they moved here, that was considered really not okay. That was, that would, you know, you're very dirty and messed up and you're not, you're not taking care of your appearance, even though you're supposed to be androgynous and not wear anything too formal. You have to wear your informal clothes very well put together, <laughs> you know? And I was like, God, oh, this is this, this insufferable rule. And they said they had to make a decision between carrying on wearing what they were wearing and being seen differently or changing the way they dressed in order to be seen the same way that they'd been seeing in the previous environment i had to make the same decision the first time i did it i, I did it wrong <laughs> and that was i changed my style in order to try and match what i thought was the 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 appropriate style here and i kind of vanished into it and it didn't make me feel well and then um it took um effie my my wife here um to show me many things including um how to dress in a way that felt really good in myself you know, took pride in that uh, sense of sense of identity and considered what symbology I am putting into that particular environment, what they might think of that symbology and not care anyway. <laughs> well, to, to care in the sense that I know what I'm projecting, understand what those codes are, use them to my advantage and project myself anyway. And she really helped me to do that. And that is a complicated personal journey with a very simple result. But I can tell you, I, I think I went through the same, although probably without quite so much. So coming from New Zealand, which is the ultimate casual culture, the fact you, um, I had an, I have an uncle who is a roofer and wears the same 
kind of rugby shorts pretty much for everything. I think he's got formal formal trousers that he occasionally puts on, but the rest of his life he spends in shorts and either a t-shirt or a jumper, depending on the weather. That's his concession to the weather is he might put on another layer, you know. Um, you, can't, you go from that to a culture where a lot more people wear suits. A lot now, maybe that's a working class to white collar change as well. But it's 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 about people wearing suits all the time. Um, so I came over here and suddenly I could buy suits that fitted in charity shops. So I have a huge collection. I had a ginormous collection of suits. It's now about a third the size it was. Um, when I tried to wear some of that for work, I was seen very differently. Um, and it's taken a while for me to figure out what works and what works for me is to dress like a children's TV entertainer. I wear really loud Hawaiian shirts with really, really bright sweatshirts and jumpers with jeans of various sorts or long shorts in the summer, um, skate shorts. And I've discovered because whatever I wore, I was never going to look right. And because I never fully felt comfortable, that discomfort gets amplified when you're under stress. So when I was, and it comes across as dishonesty. So when I was in a business setting and trying to go into these boardrooms to present stuff for work, people would look at me and go, why is the crazy person, why is, the, why is this person trying to wear a suit? Or people would force me into wearing a suit. And in a suit... I look like a 14-year-old boy at a wedding because my face is very round, very soft. I don't have any hard edges within my face. So that brought out a whole pile of incongruousness. I looked too young to be doing the stuff that I was doing. And that made people clash in their minds and then they'd hear my name and then there'd just be massive amounts of confusion. And whatever I tried to say, people would see all this other noise around me and go, there's something not quite right here. And that would mean that I would have to work harder to present as honest, no matter what I said, because there's stuff in the background that people were reading as slightly dishonest or not quite right. Once I started dressing more like me and going into these spaces, being a bit more confident that what I was wearing was fine and quite frankly they'd invited me in and they just had to put up with the fact that they could see bare skin that has slightly hairy legs if it was the summer and things like that people would go oh this is weird but then when I started to talk because I felt congruent what I said came across as congruent and there wasn't any cognitive dissonance that's the words I was hunting for floating around I wasn't saying one thing and looking another or sensing another or giving off the emotions of another I give off the emotions of being comfortable slightly under stress because I'm in a boardroom and who's not under stress in a boardroom even the freaking CEO's under stress in a boardroom so you're walking in with the same level of stress as everyone else you're not coming in giving off more stress or more discomfort and that was a really big learning I know this has been a bit of a sidetrack, but it's about dressing and being, making your heart sing. It's, it's, it's almost back to that whole thing about when you know that you've got the right name, 
you know that you've got the right look or the right way of presenting yourself or the right way of dressing for the space you're going into when you feel comfortable walking in and your heart starts to sing. I, I think that that is the sort of the, 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 the heart of it. But what I find so interesting, what you were saying, and I don't think you've gone on a tangent, I think you've summed it up really well. The thing about clothes that I find so interesting is they're supposed to be culturally, we believe there's some sort of marker of some intrinsic truth, right? Now I wear this because I am this way. It is a symbol of my inner being, whether that be a gender or be a class or be a whatever. It's all the things that we know are culturally extremely problematic and chosen, if not arbitrarily, certainly in relation to power relations, right? So weirdly enough, we're using these sort of artificial markers to somehow express something intrinsic. So when we wear something that is really incongruent to who we are as a person, it's very obvious to ourselves and to others. And it marks our difference even more so. And I think what you just described is something I really understood when I started to dress the way I do now, is I felt that there was a relationship between this oddly artificial covering and an intrinsic sense of self that congruence started to feel honest and i i still have to relate to the fact that i know other people will read it a certain way and that those codes are important that i need to remember those things i need to learn that because it's important to know what the customs of the culture we as aliens are going into so we can reproduce some of them and challenge the rest but also to be very aware of what i want to project which is the sense of who i am as a person using this odd body covering, which, as you said so eloquently earlier, covers some bits and is occasionally comfortable. <laughs> I, think that... that's, I think that sums it up. I mean, yeah. it's, clothing is complicated. And like you said, it's about that congruence. Hmm. It's about that internal, external congruence and ability to send the messages that you wish to send and distort the messages you wish to distort. Yes. It's a performance. In it a is way. a performance. It's your, it's your costume, but you're performing reality. You're performing an intrinsic self. That doesn't stop existing. Yeah. I think quite the opposite. I think it is, it is borne out by these kinds of things. It's almost a bit, if you see it as that performance, it's, when it's when it reads wrong or yes. incongruent is when you're trying to perform against the flow of your internal. Yeah, but you're also performing against the hegemonic society, the society yes. that's telling you to be a certain way. So the the problem is you're trapped in this. It's horrible, you know, catch twenty two. But you know, you can't perform normality because they won't let you, and because you look weird because you aren't normal. Hmm. Quote, we should have a little, <laughs> we should have a little audio cue for bunny ears or scare quotes <laughs> or whatever, you know. Um, and you, you know, when when you perform yourself, you're you're dis people will assume you're being duplicitous. Yeah. You know, you you can't win that particular battle, so pursue it, pursue another. Yeah, find find an, find another way through. I can't. Yeah. So yeah, I've found my way through the whole maze of corporate yeah. dressing. And we all have different opportunities. I mean, it's you and I are quite lucky in this regard. Like I think of us 
than now we are. I mean, we've had our trials and tribulations. Don't get me wrong. I guess I count myself lucky now, <laughs> less lucky before. And having to have gone through a tremendous amount of pain. And honestly, I'm laughing right now because if I wasn't laughing, I'd probably be wailing on the floor because we've, I know we've both been through the ringer with this particular issue and we don't have enough time to go through it. <laughs> the thing is, um, right now, I consider myself lucky because I'm in a position where I can experiment and be safe and I can do what I'm doing and be safe. And I am having to adjust to that in a whole new way because now I pass a little bit more in this culture because I've changed my body somewhat. And I, there's, there's all kinds of new questions and yet they always come back to the same thing. How do I want to look to the outside world and how do I want to feel and how do I project who I am? Whereas I've got the comfort of doing some of that same thing about how do I want to appear? How do I want to be read? in a company that backs me up, that yeah. isn't going to turn around and say, you don't dress appropriately. But, you, but this is only the first real time you've been able to do that. Oh, absolutely. And I you've mean, had to go through many, many. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. this is a place where when people, when I go to a client site and there is a dress code, we sit down and we look at the essentialism of the dress code. Um, and it's like, so what, it, what are you trying to say with, with this dress code? And it's like, uh, no jeans, no t-shirts, no sneakers. It's like, okay, fine. I can, that's a reasonable dress code. I can, I can meet that because you're st- the people I'm working with are meeting that dress code. If it's just an unwritten dress code of you will wear business attire, I'm wearing business attire. The, I'm business, therefore the attire that I wear is business. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's, a, that's an Azar quote, I think. It was like, you know, why do you wear women's clothing? He says, they're not women's clothing, they're my clothing. I bought them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm wearing and thus they are mine. And mm. that's the thing about inhabiting the thing changes the thing. Anyway, yeah. we're good. We see what we did now. We, we, we've, we've made a mistake, listeners. We started complicated. We had this beautiful little wrapped up, simple little ending. <laughs> and then we fucked ourselves and just went back into weird complicated territory and so i'm making the editorial decision to say what what are we going to talk about next week jay jk rowling fuck you Head cannon authorship. Head cannon authors, authors and uh, authors art. intent. Authors intent. Is it okay to tell? Is it okay to tell us your characters are gay five years after the event when there was nothing written in the written in the actual books? And then and then hate translate. No, you sneaky bugger! You almost. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Have a very good day, listeners. Thanks for joining us.